Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. So today we're doing one of our more traditional uh, readings pieces. We're going to talk about some philosophy um, like we used to do back in the day. Um, we are talking about Ed, to start with at least, uh, a, an article by Ed Rooksby uh, called uh, The Relationship Between Liberalism and Socialism. Um, and I have no idea who Ed Rooksby is. Um, <laughs> it looks like he, he, he might be an academic at Oxford, as far as I could tell, uh, yeah. from the, the very, very last page there. But uh, hat tip to Aaron Anderson for, for this piece. I thought it was, was pretty good. Um, and then we will probably get to uh, philosopher Liam Kofi Bright, internet hero, uh, famed internet philosopher, uh, and his post, Why I Am Not a Liberal. And a response uh, from another intellectual uh, named Owen. But they all kind of go together, you know, on the topic of what liberalism is, how it arose, what its principles are, and, uh, and why uh, or how it's insufficient, basically. And, and, and for the Rixby piece, but I think implicitly in the other pieces, um, how those insufficiencies relate to socialism as an alternative, I think, right? I think this is an interesting. It's an interesting article. It's, a, I think, a little bit challenging for a socialist the rooksby piece that is yeah. um mm -hmm. you know be, because you and for liberals as he as he points out for, for both yes, liberals true. and socialists you know the the basic argument is that you know so socialism as as he you know characterizes it as like sort of a trans a transcendence and uh uh, uh overcoming of what he says Quote, socialism is best regarded as the radicalization and transcendence of liberalism. Socialism draws on the normative principles that drove the bourgeois revolutions in which liberal society professes to embody and demands that these ideals are more fully realized. And um, I think, you know, the, the first thing to say about this, and I think it's a very important point, is, you know, he he. uh draws out, you know, a whole number of social examples of historical socialists or supposed socialists like uh, Lenin and Trotsky, Stalin and Mao, who were very contemptuous of, you know, what they call bourgeois, you know, liberties, um, freedom to, you know, suffrage and stuff like that. And he s says that this is it's it's bad for for two reasons, um, you know, on the one hand, you said you end up, you quote, surrender to the prevailing liberal view that the democratic rights and liberties that have grown up under liberalism are inextricable from the current social order. And then on the other hand, quote, it is also dangerous in that it seems to justify and indeed even require the abolition of existing democratic rights and liberties on the part of socialists in power, which is, in fact, what, yeah. you know, Lenin and Stalin did. Uh, and that, I think we can safely conclude was bad. Uh, it did not work. <laughs> it was it was yeah, bad for yeah. the, the people and it, the long term stability of the system itself. And I fall prey to this. You know, I, I get so mad at the current order, which I think Rixby does a good job of showing is intertwined historically and now with capitalism, uh, and is so hegemonic that it that it bleeds into liberalism bleeds into uh, adjacent ideologies and basically any other way of form of life right now is, is kind of like um, forced into a, a liberal framework. Um, 
And so uh, I can <laughs> certainly sound like I'm just wholesale rejecting liberalism uh, or castigating liberals as such. Um, and this is, I think, a piece that's helpful for not falling into that trap uh, because of how he says socialism is the realization of the ideals and principles that actual practicing liberalism uh, is Im- cannot fulfill because of the contradictions um, of, uh, of liberalism itself. So like the principles, the stated principles of liberalism, equality and um, liberty uh, cannot be realized because of the third, he, he calls mediating force or, or the role played by the, the, the mediating um, principle of uh, private property and the private ownership of the means of production, right? Um, yeah. And because of that, right, because of that and the class struggle that ensues, uh, the promise of universal equality and universal liberty uh, necessarily can't be realized unless socialism transcends liberalism, right? And I think that's a, an interesting way to, to think about it. Yeah, and I like that. I, I like this, the that way of approaching this situation because, you know, as you say, you look at existing liberal regimes in history and in practice today and you you can see it all associated with all sorts of horrible shit you know the the british empire uh's incredibly exploitative uh you know colonial system of trade um you know how yeah. uh Poor countries today, you know, are, are just like surviving on scraps from, you know, the the, yeah. the the fall off the table, you know, between like, you know, the United States, Europe and China uh, and, you know, all the various wars and, and shit like that. And I think that, that it can be logical for a lot of people to just conclude that all this is bullshit that like, look yeah, at, right. look at these, these freedoms that you espouse, you hypocrite, you liar. Yes. And, and therefore yeah. the freedoms themselves, the whole idea Far is back. nonsense and we don't need to do it. But I think right. that that's the wrong way to look at it. You need to say no. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I actually have students, students that, um, you know, before they take my courses, they say, uh, I hated the Declaration of Independence. And, I, you know, it's just obviously it's a complete lie and hypocrisy, et cetera, et cetera. But the very idea, therefore, of I mean, it, it surprised me, actually, that the very idea of equality and freedom as natural rights and the very idea that those things are uh, meaningful was nonsense because of the practical uh, failure of our system historically and today to, to live up to the ideals that they were throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know? And so I think that's where it's so important for, to have a socialist uh, response, which says, no, the ideals are good. It's just, they're not realized in this system for a very good reason, but they can be. And when they are, you will like that. That will be good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as he, you know, points out, um, you know, you, you can point to all manner of movements and, um, you know, societies, uh, the, the things that have happened basically because, uh, downtrodden groups seized on this sort of, you know, universalist moral, uh, ideals in like the Declaration of Independence or the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen, um, or, you know, all the various liberal theorists that have, that have, worked and written throughout the years and and pointed to the hypocrisy 
um, and said, you know, we women, we deserve the vote just like men. Um, and, uh, yes. slavery is a Jamel Bowie has a great piece actually. We're recording this, uh, funnily enough on the 4th of July. And, uh, so this, his, his piece is all about how the Declaration of Independence, you know, as, as a sort of sacred document in American history is to, to a great degree, the creation of like, um, anti-slavery activists, um, uh, above all, like Abraham Lincoln, uh, you know, that, that, for a long time after the after it was signed, it was basically forgotten for like 20 years. It wasn't really that important. It wasn't considered like it is today. And this was a result of people saying, like, look at, you know, here's like a handy thing that, that we can like use rhetorically and in our movements and, and organizations to 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 push, you know, for a more equal society. Live up to your your bullshit slogans. <laughs> and uh, it no, was remarkably right. successful. Yeah. Our our good friend uh, Harvey J.K. talks about this, right? That radicals in our uh, history have always drawn on those founding principles and drawn on the ideals that were not being fulfilled uh, and drawn on those fighting for them against those who would see them suppressed. Uh, and uh, that is a tradition in this country that's very American. Um, and it's... Uh, it's important, too, to show that, like, you know, Machiavelli says there is an important civic religion that creates stability and allows for a good kind of Republican order. Um, and you have to build in a you have to constitute, you know, the, the Constitution is kind of a living thing. You have to constitute your uh, polity by returning to founding principles again and again, especially when things are falling into disorder and chaos and so forth. Um, and so, like, the, the idea of universal freedom and equality persists because of how it, it comes into conflict with all these uh, exclusions, and all these, you know, uh, oppressions that just people can't but say, wait a minute, we, we're a country that's supposed to be about these things. Well, why is that not true for this person, for that person, for this group, for that group, right? Um, so, But, you know, mentioning Machiavellian republicanism, though, reminds me that, like, once we get through talking about the virtues of this piece, I guess it does. Um, it occurs to me that like it's maybe not liberalism per se that has complete ownership historically of uh, freedom, at least, if not also equality, because uh, republicanism, right, um, and, and, and modern republicanism from Machiavelli to Rousseau is very much about a kind of freedom that he distinguishes when he says that socialist freedom is different from uh, liberal freedom, right? And this is where we get to the ontology and like the way that liberalism says that freedom is only individual and only legal and not economic. And uh, socialism says that it's actually social because we're social creatures, not just, uh, you know, individuals by our nature. Um, and yeah. then this leads to two, two different visions of liberty, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has a nice gloss on the, the, the way that liberals, li the way that liberalism developed its nature of, of liberty. Um, and, you know, basically that you had like a society of in like bourgeois society coming to be, you know, and, um, business owners who 
wanted their property to be protected as like their principal political objectives, like coming up with this stuff. And it like clearly bears the, the, the roots of, of that, you know, up, up to the present day. Um, you know, he says, quote, it is not difficult to see, for example, that the atomized liberal individual reflects the atomized conditions of bourgeois society in which social ties of kinship and fealty have been dissolved in which market competition is the norm. And he talks about the social contract, you know, which, which it, it, it's funny. He's um, he says, quote, the, the radical individualism at the core of liberalism is perhaps most clear to see in liberal political philosophy's favorite conceptual device, the social contract. And uh, I, I kind of like the like the social contract, I feel like, is an interesting idea. You know, like it's it's a it's a, you know, clearly has some force and like you can do some good stuff with it. You know, as we've talked about with Hobbes and Rawls uh with his, you know, the, the, the original position and, and that whole business of trying to come up with a sort of moral foundation of society. But you, you do have to admit, I think, as he points out, that this is like a profoundly ridiculous way to think about, uh, human <laughs> society, even bourgeois society. Like no, nobody has ever lived like this in history. Nobody's ever sat down and come up with a, a social, like, like contract in terms of oh, yeah, it's how not, we it's want not our a historical. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's a thought experiment to explain our, our nature and, and to suggest, um, you know, based on what our human nature is, how we should therefore live. Um, but as many people, I mean, so there's different social contexts, right? There, there's first yeah. Hobbes and then, and then Locke and then Rousseau. And, and, you know, Hobbes is both liberal and illiberal in many ways. Locke is straight liberal. <clears throat> Rousseau, however, is again, a very di- it's a, it's the weirdest of the three in a way. Um, although Hobbes is pretty weird too, but um, they're all kind of weird. I mean, the, to be honest, the, the, the thought experiments. But um, what they say about human nature, I think, really matters. Right? Hobbes has uh, the atomistic individual, um, godless, <laughs> and um, there is no you know uh, justice outside of uh, what we create. Locke, of course, thinks there's a natural law and, and a transcendent justice that we need to adhere to when we leave the state of nature. Um, but his focus is, is less on not killing each other as it is for Hobbes and more about kind of, uh, you know, being industrious, although Hobbes isn't into that too, but having commerce and using our God-given uh, propensity to, to labor and mix with uh, uh, the land that God gave us and so forth to, to create wealth um, for our oikos, and this is really important to liberalism, right? Like the the idea from the ancients that like the oikos, which is the root of economy, which in Greek means like household, right? Uh, the oikos is the private sphere, and you know if you if you go back to ancient Greece, um, it was required that you had a place in the polis in the city that was yours, that was. Um, you know, this is before like mortgages, right? Like you, you uh, were free and clear, right? You did not have necessity as a problem. Like you had property, you didn't, and you, you in fact, and this is a big difference with 19th century and 18th century slavery, by the way, chattel slavery. Um, you had a, um, you had in servants, right? Uh, or slaves uh, 
in order for you to leave the household. They would run the household so you didn't have to, so you could be a citizen and serve the public and actually have time, the leisure to think and debate and make laws. Like this was the democracy that was being kind of, uh, obviously in some ways, um, experimented with for the first time, right? Uh, and this idea was was that freedom, therefore, is in, in this social, political, uh, constitutive, collective act of determining how we should live together once necessity and instinct is no longer like past survival. Okay, what's good? How should we be, right? Um, the thing with liberalism is it flips it on its head and says, actually... Let, let's let's get rid of those questions about like how we should be and what what justice is and all that, and let's make the state serve the individual people in their households that they have the little fiefdoms over, right? And so it's a kind of return in a way to the master slave dynamic in a, in a way with, with like the patriarchal property owner in charge of the household and the state helping them, right? Become and that's that's yeah. the beginning at the end, I think. Yeah, and and this. Um, <clears throat> I think is, you know, at the, at the root of the, the problems in the, the incoherence of liberalism as it developed, you know, it's like you had these people who were in many instances, literal slave owners, you know, writing about, uh, uh, liberty and, you know, living, uh, uh, how to construct a free society and so on. And, um, even in the, you know, the case of people who were just mere business owners without any, you know, otherwise objectionable aspects to it, um, you know, you, you, you still run right into the, the, the issue that, uh, private property is really at odds with liberty and, and equality. Like, uh, it it manifestly you know if you're if you're talking about the institution of private property especially you can't justify that on any kind of liberty grounds and of course whenever you have private property you always have massive inequality and that you know whether you want to yes. like you, people try to separate it out but of course like massive disparity in resources creates a massive disparity in like every aspect of life political That's and right. otherwise um and so, you know, you're, you're like a bunch of rich Jews trying to set up this, like a state basically that will, you know, allow them to defend their resources. And, but it's like the principles that they're lying out, you know, to justify the state are, are pretty much straightforwardly imply that they should not have at least unfettered rights to their private property. That, 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 that should have like strict and, you know, I would say like, uh, if you go through the logic as, as, uh, Rooksby does, you know, that, that, that property would, uh, I would say would be, ought to be abolished as, uh, in terms of a right, you know, that, that it should be just like merely an instrumental thing, you know, like it, it, insofar as it serves like, uh, you know, liberty and equality, we could have property like, you know, for like home ownership or something like that. But when you're talking about like huge dragon hordes, Elon Musk with $200 billion worth of stuff. No, that, you know, and, um, it just, yeah, I, I, I'm convinced by this, you know, I think it, that it, you see it, uh, historically and just in the principles of the thing that, that, you know, uh, how I think he, he points out there's a, a wise observation that there's so many, 
a modern liberal theorists are very uncomfortable about private property. Back in the day, you know, the, in, in the, the, the French, uh, Declaration of the Rights of Man, it was life, liberty, and property. Um, and now it's like, ooh, that, that one's a little, <laughs> they're a little squicky about that one. They don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and, and it's interesting. He gets into uh, the philosopher Etienne Balibar and his understanding of equal liberty as a way of um, merging equality and liberty into one word so that people don't get confused about how those things work together. Because properly understood, uh, say the socialists, right, uh, these things have to go together. And we've said on the podcast before something like, uh, you know, no one is free until everyone is free. Like that's the point of equality, right, is that uh, everyone's equally free, but not equally free to participate in the market, Right. Because that's not actually freedom, <laughs> as, as we all can see yeah. here. Right. Um, and so that um, explanation that like separating the oikos or the, the private sphere as the sphere of freedom is the perversity, because then economic participation. Right. Uh, is what freedom is. And that's freedom in a market that can then dominate you by the asymmetry of power and inequalities of wealth. And the political process is not supposed to get involved there. Right. So he, he says, Quote, even though economic power is political power, this may be safely ignored by the bourgeoisie. State power, however, is not and cannot be unambiguously in the hands of the capitalist class. And so it is uh, this concentrated site of power that liberalism is most concerned to guard against. The interests and concerns of property then underpin and define the terms of the liberal, liberal conception of liberty. Right. So, so in other words, like um, liberals, whether they want to say, say so or not, uh, they don't call out capitalist or economic um, oppression, power, dominance, uh, exploitation, uh, asymmetries, because they're more concerned with the state, the negative li liberty of the state not interfering, not interfering with your marriage, not interfering. Like those are all good things. Right. But for the socialist, positive freedom is actually. Uh, actually requires economic democracy and economic rights and economic power and economic equality, right? Um, and so you have liberalism, which is individual and, and in focused on negative liberty, like as against state intervention, leave me alone, alone, right? No wonder so many people are lonely these days and like how hard it is to do anything because everyone thinks through like, what can I do as an individual? I'm going to go vote. And that's the end of the, you know, uh, the path for me, because what else can I do? Um, versus socialists who think about collective action, collective good, public good, common good, and positive freedom, right? And uh, a kind of uh, bringing together of the economic and the political because they actually go together, right? Yeah. Makes sense yeah, to and me. I, yeah, and I, I would say, you know, you're, you're recognizing um, like, like liberals, they want to pretend that, that like the – you know, you have all these barriers in the Bill of Rights, what the government can't do to you, um, supposedly. Uh, but, you know, the fact is like the, the government is, is all, always acting on behalf of people who own right. property. Like that's what private property is. It's the yeah. state. It's not telling neutral you, at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, the, the, the property is a relationship between people. You, you own something when the government t says you do. That's right. You know, so you can That's you right. can go to the to the police or to the courts, you know, that, to get people to in, uh, enforce with violence, if necessary, your claim That's right. to that property. And yeah, so I, if I love I love you pointing out that you're pointing out that liberal and libertarian uh, invocations of negative liberty are a lie. 
The yeah. state is never not involved. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. Um, the state creates the economy. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're taking uh, justice and equality seriously, you have to say, okay, well, this, this state power should be deployed, you know, on behalf of yep. like the common good and not just yep. on behalf of, of rich people. Now, I know everyone that's listening has read your book probably twice, but uh, you, do, you do so well in it to explain this. Can you explain that statement that the state creates the economy? Because for those uh, that need to read your book a third time, maybe they need to hear you explain it now. Well, that I mean, you know, this is not an original idea at all. But, um, you know, when you 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 look at the um, the just the structure of of private property and like market transactions and all, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, I mentioned before how property is, is, a, is political property is created, defined by the state. And I think that that, that just penetrates all the way down to the core of every economic, everything, you know, what is money that's created by the government? What is the market? Yeah, the the market is 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 created through government structures in terms of like buying and selling versus like stealing, um, you know, through corporate law, securities law, labor law, um, all the various regulations about you know like pure food and water, you know that like all this stuff is necessary to 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 sort of breathe a capitalist economy right. into life in the first place, um, and and. You know, c- classical liberals and libertarians w- want to deny that. They want to say it's all John Galt. It's all Elon Musk, the entrepreneur. But the entrepreneur <laughs> yeah, is standing yeah. and depends on the government at yes. every turn. And and um, they're very cor- – besides the tax breaks, the, the very entity that we call a corporation is a legal fiction created by the state. Right. Yeah. Not, not to mention the laws around it. Right. And and so maybe this is a good transition to the uh, we can return to the, the Rooksby piece, but to the Liam Kofi Bright piece, um, you know, because th- this this reality uh, of the, the state not being able to be neutral and it's descriptively never neutral um, flies in the face of one of the tenets of liberalism, which is like proceduralism, neutrality about uh, the good or the good life, right? Or the common good. And this idea that <clears throat> with capitalism, right, uh, you know, the market will determine things and the, the government will just protect, you know, equality is just a matter of having formal political rights, even though like we're not allowing substantively anything to do with the economy to be actually done, um, which you kind of gave lied to. It actually means favoring the capitalist class, uh, this, this faux neutrality. Um, so this, you know, Professor Bright points out leads to, you know, all these problems we're seeing with climate change and inequality. Uh, and, uh, it, it literally doesn't work the way that liberalism pretends it does. Um, and it doesn't actually have a kind of neutral playing field for, for different visions of the good to be kind of like democratically decided because, and, and this is not so much in anything we read, but we can talk about it. Liberalism isn't actually in favor of democracy, to be honest, right? Because first of all, it doesn't want democracy in the workplace. It doesn't want democracy in the household. It doesn't want like equality of power anywhere else other than formally politically. And um, it's also about elections and uh, electoral systems, which, uh, as other theorists have pointed out, 
the idea of meritocracy or elections is aristocratic, actually. Democracy in ancient Athens, for a reason, was by lottery. It was like, put your hat in there and, and then you get picked out of the hat. Okay, go serve for a couple of years and then, then come back out. And, and, and it wasn't what an election is, which is who's best. That's literally aristocracy means rule by the best. It's literally uh, by design, an election is aristocratic. Right. And so, you know, the suffrage problem of who's allowed to vote and, and these justifications for inequality, which are so much like, well, you didn't deserve uh, the person who's rich deserves it because he's a genius. Elon Musk is a genius. Right. People that are poor, they must be lazy. Right. These meritocratic arguments are anti-democratic because they're about basically aristocratic thinking. Right. Or it's a mask for oligarchic plutocratic thinking. You know, whoever has the money is the best, basically. Um, and so, like, Bright says we need to actually get rid of this idea of neutrality and proceduralism. Uh, put the conflicts out in the open because there's actual conflicts about what's good and, and, and actually have that as the basis for society. Right. Yeah, I was. Uh, he brings up a, a historical justification for for liberalism that we, we didn't that. um Brooksby doesn't mention, which is has to do with the wars of religion in like the 1600s, sure. you know, and you had Catholics oh, yeah. and Protestants slugging it out in various horrible yeah. wars. It um, was like having a 9-11 event like every week for years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 30 years wars killed like a third of the population of, of like parts yeah. of Germany. That's right. Really bad. Um, no, no. I mean, when you look at Hobbes's front piece, it's, it's, uh, a, a, an epidemic, right? A plague town. There's actual like plague doctors walking around in an empty, empty town because not only did they have these holy wars that decimated, right? Uh, the population based on people saying they know what God wants, but you had also these out of control plagues that, that were happening regularly. So, yeah. the, you know, the understandably the, the idea that, that Hobbes kind of, uh, made prominent that, hey, maybe we should focus less on like who knows God's thoughts <laughs> and like just not kill each other and have some stability. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, so the idea that you can sort of d divide a private versus public, um, uh, questions of reason and politics. And you could say like religion is a private matter. It's not for the government to tell you what to do one way or the other, you know, which is sort of like, the definitely i mean i guess people argue about this but like it was definitely related to religious squabbling over like who's what's the state religion going to be in this place versus this place of course there's a lot of other parts to it but um yeah you so you know um i i think that you know bright is onto something in terms of saying that that's like basically fictitious you know that like that that the state is always taking sides to some degree and you know you you like certainly you could say like this was a f a failure uh in that liberalism did not manage to, to prevent wars in fact like it enabled technological progress it made wars much worse um that's right yeah you know yeah. the the liberalism famously known for war and colonialism and slavery so <laughs> yeah it's like what well, you get your first liberal like first couple of like full-fledged liberal states going in France and Britain and immediately 20 years of war uh, across the whole of Europe um and you know the the it's there it's just like 
you're maybe keeping a lid on conflicts to some degree, but it's, you know, there's really no way to prevent, uh, like there's no procedural way to stop conflict from breaking out. And if people are bound and determined to fight enough, they're going to fight. Uh, and I think you see that today in the United States, um, you know, the, the all out assault on trans people and, and LGBT people writ large, you know, just straightforwardly right. anti-liberal assault on people's like private, their, 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 uh, way they behave, uh, you know, supposedly in the private sphere. And it's uh, like people, if, if people don't care about that, you have a, like a fascist movement. Notice they're though, not going to but notice, hang on, hang on a second. Notice though, how even conservatism is rooted in that liberal distinction between private and public, because what do they say? The bad thing is it's harming the kids who are under yeah. me and the Oikos in that. Right. So like yep. I'm justifying my fascist hate by appealing to my role as a parent. Right. And that's a very liberal move actually. Yeah, right. They've, they've all internalized. I mean, even though that's bullshit, you know, like it's just lies, but, but they've internalized the value set of liberalism so profoundly that they can't, they can't think any other way. Well, Um, that's cool. That's, um, Professor Bright's point though, isn't it? He's, he's saying all arguments, whether you know it or not, are taking place today within the framework of liberalism. And he says we need to unmask the actual thing, right? Which is like, it's not about you wanting to be a better parent. It's about you, you hate people that are different and right. And, and, yeah. and like, if you, if you get rid of the like justificatory liberal framing of everything that's hegemonic, you can actually say, no, no, it's okay. We, we need to come out with our real, uh, differences here. And then when you look at like the trad cats, when you look at they, they're proudly, I'm illiberal. And that's where, where we're like, Oh, look, they're proudly co- proclaiming their fascism. Like, and, and that's because they have shed the mask of neutrality of liberalism. Right. And, and so like, it's easy to see the hatred and the, and the evil that way, but that's really good for like, which vision of the future do we want here? Look, let's not get bamboozled, um, by these appeals to, uh, parenthood. Right. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. I mean, I I think, I guess as a descriptive matter, I'd say, yeah, you know, this is kind of, this is how it is and basically how it, how it has to be. But I, I do wonder if, if it if it is if it's not possible to like actually have this in practice that you can sort of like grope towards it a little bit have a a yeah. public sphere that that is at least a little bit neutral on on stuff like you know religion and private morality and 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 whatnot like to 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 where people like yeah. the conservatives do feel somewhat restrained in their ability to like go after minorities and stuff because of a strong norm of like non-interference in quote unquote private matters um and yeah. I, you know i but, guess i'm yeah. i'm mixed mm-hmm. i'm 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 of two minds on that no but here's question. well here's okay so this is where it gets tricky right because like it's not actually neutral to say that we tolerate different religions actually right uh, yeah. because as, as, uh, conservatives have probably pointed out, it's a performative contradiction. Uh, I am not tolerant of people who are intolerant, actually. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, and so like there is a hierarchy. The hierarchy is tolerance is above it intolerance, first of all. And, and that's what liberalism has a hierarchy. It has values. It's bullshit to say it doesn't. But, but here's where we get into trouble is liberals get confused. When socialists say, let's punch Nazis and not platform Richard Spencer, 
right? Liberals or libertarians like Connor Friedersdorf are like, oh, you're the problem. Ah, violence. No, no, no. The fascists, they're violent. No, no. Those people are not debatable. You don't debate them, right? And, and that's, that's where liberals can get confused because as Rooksby points out, um, or maybe Bright does too, maybe both. The liberals forget the violent revolutionary origins of their ideology, right? Yeah. That you actually have to force the, 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 the feudalistic, uh, you know, reactionaries. Um, you have to defeat them in order to instantiate your order, right? That's peaceful and about tolerance and dialogue. Yeah. Br- Brooks. Uh, Brooksby has a good line on this. He says, quote, once the Ancien regime was defeated and the liberal order safely embedded, the genesis of this order and rebellion became something of an embarrassment and even a liability because from the start, the new order was looking anxiously over its shoulder at a potential challenger. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know. I feel like you could say as a liberal, you know, that like you, you just you, you could sort of admit to your your values and say, you know, I am militantly in favor of like kicking Nazis off the platforms or or whatever. I feel like a lot of sort of normie libs have become uh, radicalized in exactly this fashion. You know, you see, you, you realize it's like you have these values like free speech and so on and that you have people who are just like all but plotting in plain sight like we're going to take your freedoms away and we're going to use your freedoms to do it and there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> we're like you know <laughs> cackling over this like pot bubbling pot of of poison or something and um yeah and in that case it's like well okay i guess we're do- we're done talking but you're definitely right that there's a you know People privilege the fo- the form of these. It's like, oh, f- free speech. Uh, we talked about this yes. in our episode with the the, the professors. Um, yep. Who's he? What's it? But about the about free speech <laughs> on campus. It's like, what's That's the right. point of yeah. free speech? You're not. It's not just about anyone to say whatever they want all the time. It's like this is part of a whole political system, you know, to allow people to like live of of and specifically. Well, yeah, specifically, it's about democracy and education, which is supposed to form us into people who have knowledge and access to what's true, what's false, what's good, what's bad. In other words, what Aristotle defined as the point of a polis or the political point, which is justice. What's the good life? What's the way to live? How, what, you know, let's make informed decisions, not just instinctual ones or not just self-interested ones. Let's, let's try to imagine, use our imagination to understand what's in our common good and interest. Like that's the political reason why we should, in other words, there's a difference between leave me alone and I want to do whatever I want, which Hobbes defined uh, the same as liberty. He says license and liberty. Everyone just says uh, good and bad are things that people say uh, that are objective, but that's just what you like. That's just like your opinion, man, right? Like <laughs> things that you like, you call them good. Things that are bad, you call them evil. And that's just an individual like aesthetic choice almost, right? Um, but if you get into a different vision, which is that no, no, no you know, uh, your good and my good are kind of intertwined. And it's not just a matter of license or feeling like there are things that if I pursue them because I want them, that will actually be bad and against my interest, even if I desire them, you know what I mean? And that might relate to how it affects you. And like, look at the pandemic for that, you know, uh, lesson. There's a number of lessons like this, right? 
Um, capitalism's a perfect lesson in that. Let's just all consume however we want. What could go wrong? You know what I mean? <laughs> and what could go wrong is it actually redounds to harm us as individuals as well as parts of communities, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So where what was the what was the origin of that bit there about freedom of speech because we're talking about um you know it's not just a formal thing like procedural or formal equality formal liberty you have to give substance you have to give a real vision to how we yeah. want to be and rooksby talks about marx and species being and, and this idea of like reciprocity and mutual uh flourishing where like we we self-realize in a way that has to be part of a society like you know, if, if you, everyone should watch, uh, Astro Taylor's documentary, What is Democracy? If you haven't, if you, if you've seen it, but just once see it again, um, she goes to Greece and, and she talks to some Greek professors about how Plato says that, um, a good person is brought up in a good city, right? And you are grateful because the city brought you up, it formed you, it shaped you. And there's that relationship, relationship, that symbiotic relationship between your good and the common good. And like, th th that's, that's something that we've lost with, with this atomistic vision of reality. Right. And we need to reclaim it. Yeah. To return to Rooksby a little bit. Um, he, he, he has, you know, the last part of his paper is about a different ontological foundation. And basically he says, you know, the social contract, it's a neat idea maybe, but, you know, think about how people actually live, you know, how do they, how do they grow up? How do they come by their notions. It's like, well, you know, you're raised by your parents who teach you how to speak a language that has evolved over centuries and millennia, in fact. Um, and they were shaped in a community, right? Yeah. Yeah. That like, like you get, you just trace out this, the vast web of interdependence, you know, that uh, the, I talk about this in my book too, but it's like how the, the idea that anybody could individually come up to like, like you yeah. know, just spring fully formed from the head of Zeus and like have <laughs> views and opinions yes. and like the view the, from nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 well, that, but the liberals sometimes get this. Like, remember Obama's you didn't build that speech, which yeah. he got uh, raked over the coals for, uh, you know, that, that they I, sometimes I think understand this interdependence. You put it like that and it's totally undeniable. Like, like it's just like blatantly obvious. Uh, and, and nobody could possibly argue against it. You know, I think Shakespeare had a play about this. Um, but you know, the liberalism, I guess, ontologically is still based on the, this notion of just like totally independent, atomized individuals coming together, uh, for self-interested reasons to sign the social contract. And it's like, well, how could we do this, uh, in a better way, you know, like, like what's a more, um, realistic foundation. And, you know, uh, basically Rooksby, he says, he tries to root the equal liberty, you know, the, this, this notion from, um, the other philosopher that equality and liberty are like dialectically mm -hmm. intertwined and dependent on each other, uh, in yeah. like a basically social, um, ontology framework saying that we're basically i mean his argument is that uh we're naturally cooperative uh social beings who depend on each other to like uh even have a notion of selfhood like that is created through a interrelation with others that's right um our very subjectivity so, our very subjectivity is social socially created that's right yeah yeah 
Yeah, who, you can't. Who I think I am is I, I think of myself through the eyes of how you look at me and how I think others think of me. And this is this is Rousseau's point too. You know. Yeah, he says. Quote, it is not just that we live, behave, and especially labor socially and cooperatively. It is also that our very subjectivity, our conception of selfhood, is constituted socially. We become consciously aware of ourselves as a discrete entity distinct from the natural world and from other humans only through language. And language is inherently intersubjective. It is a social practice. You know, you're speaking yes. to yes. somebody else. You're writing down something for somebody else to read. You're reading something that somebody else wrote so that you could read it. As you point out, as you point out, you point this out at the beginning of your book, right? It, if the economy was uh, individual uh, based, as everyone says it is, and, and, and the kind of uh, austerity schools and, and the people that tell you how to make a, a huge amount of money by saving money, if they were right... Then if everyone individually saves, that would be great, right? But then that happened. People were forced to save in the pandemic and everything fell apart because you know what? Your savings mean that you're not spending money that I need for my income, right? And, and yeah. vice versa. Like when, when you spend that, that's, that's, a, there's the reciprocity there. The consumption and the spending go together. Um, and so it's like ontologically untrue <laughs> that we're individuals and that the economy is based, um, in that kind of reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm definitely like in favor of this as, as a sort of redescription of, you know, trying to, trying to sell this to people, you know, but I, I guess I'm a little bit unsure of this in terms of, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to root it almost in like a moral fashion, you know, saying that like, which one are you talking about? Uh, Bright or Rooksby at this point? Rooksby, you know, he's saying, you know, okay. uh, the realization of, quote, the realization of these principles is a necessary condition and constituent part of the realization of our nature. Uh, we could say that equilibrity is simply in our bones. And that I guess I'm less sure about. Um, sure. I mean, I think yeah. it is it is definitionally the case that we always work together and like we're we you know as we've been saying we, like we are social beings we always have been we always will be as long as there are human beings that's just how it is but it does seem to be that you can create a sort of like society in which everyone is sort of convinced that they are individuals and behave oh in that's the point yes okay so so here's here let, let me i don't know if, if this ahead. is rooksby's point but here's a point that like what you're saying Fits with Rousseau. Rousseau basically, well, Rousseau kind of does think that we start out individuals in the state of nature, uh, whereas Aristotle thinks that we, by our nature we're political animals. We're we're, we're literally designed to uh, be in community because you know he has this clever argument about nothing in nature is designed without purpose, and so why do we have language? Uh, it's so that we can talk to each other, so we can learn how to live to to to. Uh, figure out how to have not just mere life, but a good life. That's, that's what takes us and differentiates us from animals who live off of instinct and don't have the self. And this fits with like what Martin Hoglund says in this life in a way, right? That, that spiritual freedom he describes. But um, Rousseau, he thinks we start out as individuals, but that our nature is that we can become many things. We're actually not fixed. We have this propensity to be shaped by our environment tremendously and that the important thing, though, is he rejects that we are naturally uh, fixed in any way. And, and in fact, naturally, even though we are individual, naturally, we are not um, antagonistic and competitive and egoistic, that 
society, which we created through our free will, we became the bourgeois. We became uh, through our reason, actually, he says, right? He's like, if you look at a horse, it, it won't walk past a dead horse with no empathy or feeling, right? It took civilization and reason to be able to do that, for us to like not have that natural pity or sympathy for, for another creature that's like us or for a creature that's similar to us, right? Our reason that we, that we use, which we have naturally, we created a distance from our natural sympathy and so forth. And, and naturally, we're actually much more cooperative and empathetic and compassionate and all these things. Uh, but we have this ability to adapt and we're shaped so much by our environment. So your point is actually that um, we could go against that empathetic, pitying, cooperative nature, uh, or, or we could go against what Aristotle would say is our nature, which is collectivist and communal. And like you say, convince ourselves artificially that, that, we, that we're not, which is why you always see these naturalizing arguments. Nope. Capitalism is natural. Nope. Competition is natural. Nope. Uh, and my students, when I ask them if they had a universal basic income, they say, oh, it's a terrible idea because everyone will just... I mean, they don't say spend it on, uh, you know, hookers and coke, but like that, that's, you know, <laughs> they'll just watch Netflix all day. And then when I ask them, wait, wait, will you just want that, not watch Netflix all day? They say, oh, no, not me. No, no, everyone else. <laughs> those, those other idiots, right? Everyone else is, is lazy and mean and, 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 uh, envious and so forth, right? Um, but Rousseau's point, and I think the point of a lot of theorists is that that's not naturally true. We have created conditions to make that true and to make us think that about each other. Uh, we have shaped ourselves to be worse in many ways because of this ontology, right? Because like, you know, you uh, it's like when somebody calls you a criminal, 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 you start to believe it. Well, if you start to hear over and over again, right, uh, everyone's out to get you. You're on your own. Pull yourself up from your bootstraps. Uh, you start to live into that subjectivity that's shaped socially, though, right? Yeah. So we don't have to do that. Yeah, I guess um I guess I'm just kind of struggling with the with the the idea that this like m makes for I mean, what what I could say certainly and I I I do believe, you know, you like human beings are a lot uh seem to thrive better whenever the society is more equal, you know, like you look at the surveys of what's the happiest countries. Um, it's typically the Nordics somewhere, you know, the, which is quite remarkable because lack of sunlight is, is, uh, has a profound influence on <laughs> yeah, your, sure. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. expressed happiness. happiness. You know, it's just mm -hmm. super low stress, uh, high trust society where people cooperate and there's a lot of socializing. And you look at a place like the United States, you know, I don't think you can divorce inequality from the number of suicides and gun deaths and um, uh, drug overdoses, you know, the people That's drinking right. themselves to death and, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so so like from, I guess, like a practical standpoint, uh, you know, yeah. the, the, this is just plainly a better way to live. But ontologically speaking, you know, it seems like you know, we have a sort of tendency, you could say, but like, is there like a natural way that you can, I don't know, sort of like iron it out aside from just being a tendency? I don't know. I guess I'm not expressing myself well exactly. No, no. I think I understand what you're saying. I, well, there's two things and I'm wondering which, which point you're making. Is it that we don't need to iron out metaphysics or the ontological reality of our nature? Um, 
which again, for Mar- for Rousseau and for Marx, our nature is not fixed anyway. So like if what you mean by nature is an unchanging thing, well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, in fact, a nature that is highly, if anything, we are highly sensitive to our environment and to yeah. um, the norms that we create. But if our nature is to be so adaptive, what, what Rousseau calls perfectibility, you know, we, 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 and it doesn't have to be in a good way, but we just change according to what we think we're supposed to do so much, right? Um, if that's the case, then we have a lot of power collectively because a lot of students saw that as a negative thing, like, oh, we don't have a certain nature. We just change all the time. But that means we're responsible for the mess we've made also because it doesn't have to be that way. It's not natural. It's, it's, it's artificial. We, we've created this pain for ourselves and we can create flourishing for ourselves. I think there's freedom yeah. and hope in that, right? Yeah, I agree. I guess I, uh, it just seems to me that, that you, that there's maybe a contradiction. If you're saying that like this, this, we need to be doing this because it's natural with reference to like a, a species ah. who's, whose nature is evidently like very plastic you know that like there's it's it you need something aside from just like the the that it being the natural state to to be like sort of the argument for it but as we've been saying like it clearly you know evidence for that does abound um and i don't think it's necessary to 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 cast it this way. And I'm not sure that's exactly what Rooksby is really saying here, rather than just kind of a yeah, rhetorical yeah, yeah. flourish as it were. Well, you know, let me ask you, cause, cause look, I get it. It's, it's very modern and postmodern to, um, to attack, uh, human nature as such, right? The idea that like we should do something because that's how we're designed. People make fun of that in a lot of ways. And, and that, I, I get it. <laughs> Um, it depends how you take that, right? Cause, cause someone, someone could say, well, then you shouldn't wear glasses cause that's not natural, but that's, that's not actually the point. Like if you look at, um, what Aristotle means by telos or which is like both purpose and nature of something, the telos of an acorn is to become an oak tree. And, and, and that is both descriptively true what it is. And therefore, uh, it flourishes when it becomes what it's supposed to become. Now, of course, like becoming an oak tree and how human beings should flourish, very different things, of course. And that's where you get into pluralism and all kinds, all kinds of ways to become an oak tree collectively, I guess, right? Um, but like, if I don't have good sight, my eyes were designed to see, and this could be seen as ableist, and I get that, but, uh, but I want to say like, if there's an option to see or not see better to see that's what they're for. You know what I mean? And like yeah. that, that does, there are people that would say that's an ableist thing. And I, I get that, but I think there are parallels there, right? We have capacities, talents, and Marx would say this too. Um, there's a kind of beauty in realizing our capacities together. And this goes together with our capacity for joy and for, for, for pleasure and for like, community and love and and all kinds of things, right? Um, Above survival, there's all kinds of things that freedom is for. And this is what Hogland's thing is about. And deciding for ourselves, individually and collectively, what our commitments should be and what we should value. It's not that there's a fixed essence that says how that should go. And and as, um, you know, the existentialists do, they reverse it. Existence precedes essence. Um, You actually, you define for yourself what is most important but that's both a responsibility and a freedom. But like, that's real. That's, that's important. It's not just like, do whatever you want. 
And like, oh, I can say the only thing that's bad is when I see actual violence happening. You know what I mean? Like that, that leads to people saying that I'm being a good parent when they're actually being violent against trans people, right? Like we have to codify, um, if not what each individual life should be like, what it means to flourish. And, and, and I think you might be saying that that doesn't have to be in our nature or something, but like, so maybe we don't have to ground it metaphysically or ontologically. I don't know. But like, is it, is it so difficult to say we're all meant to flourish together? And that looks all kinds of ways. And there's all kinds of ways that doesn't look. You know, Wittgenstein would say that like, just because you can't pin something down doesn't mean there's no meaning there. He says like, in fact, you can't define uh, a game. Everyone knows what a game is, but there's not, if you say like a game has to be defined and, and, and there has to be a, one feature that all games have in common, can't do it, can't do it. And yep. yet you recognize that these are all games. So does it mean because you can't define it, you can't pin it down that it doesn't have meaning, doesn't exist? No, we know what games are. We play the games. Same thing. Life has meaning, right? Freedom has meaning. Love has meaning. Just because you can't pin it down doesn't mean these things aren't real. That's all I want to say. I want to say these yeah. things are real and they're part of who we are. And if that's not human nature, then we're misdefining it maybe. Yeah. No, I certainly accept a, the like a prudential, you know, a case for this. It's like an empirical, you could yeah. say, um, that it just, it, you know, you, you could, yeah. you could buy the sort of sure. metaphysical part or not, but like, just look around you, right. you know, like, like I, I think yeah. that one of the reasons why billionaires are so insane is because how having that much wealth, <laughs> it cuts you off from society. Yeah. And I think it's like literally brain damaging to do that to yourself. Sure. You have no friends, you have no relationship aside from like a handful of, you know, what are often just like toadies and, and courtiers. And that's no way but to here's live. The thing. It's sick. Here's the thing, Ryan. If Elon Musk and Donald Trump tell you that they're happy, I say metaphysically, ontologically, I am right when I say that they're not happy. And that... <laughs> yeah. Right? No, I know better than they do if they say that about their own, the reality of their happiness. It's not just yeah. a subjective thing, right? And, and, and maybe that's historically contingent. Maybe that's whatever empirically verified. But like, even to say that it's better to have good brain health, you know, you can't ground that in empirics itself. You have to have theory. Yeah. That's why I'm a theorist. <laughs> yeah i mean good stuff you, huh? you look at them and they're they're clearly unhappy but even if they could that's behave right. in a way that seemed like they genuinely were i i would agree with that yeah the the yeah. this is no well, way my to students this is what my students get get all excited about in in uh in the republic right there's there's this famous uh ring of gaiji's hypothesis um where uh <laughs> this guy has the you know it kind of predates lord of the rings obviously like this guy puts on a ring he's invisible and so he's able to like kill the king and sleep with the king's wife and, and become king and all that. And this is, this is a challenge to Socrates by Glaucon who says, Hey, you want me to think that the happy life, the good life is the just life. But I think the, the reality appearance distinction is, is actually more salient. What if I appear to be good and actually I'm as evil as I want? Isn't that more profitable for me than being good, but not being seen as being good? You know, and this brings up all kinds of interesting things because Socrates was killed. Jesus was crucified. And so like this, this, this whole thing that Machiavelli then plays with is don't appearances matter more than reality. And, uh, and so you know, the rest of the book is kind of trying to answer that. No, it's actually better to be good uh, and to match truth 
to appearance, right? Than play with appearances, which is what politicians do all the time now, right? And so, like, because that's about power. And so I asked them, okay, let's talk about happiness. Let's say you are married and your whole long life, you uh, think you have a loyal spouse and you die happy, you think. Actually, your spouse was cheating on you for 30 years. Were you actually happy? Right? And, and, and the students get confused because they thought they were happy, but it was based on a lie that what they didn't have the actual real relationship they thought they had. So they were deluded in the same way that Trump and, and Musk might be deluded. You know what I yeah. mean? Like this is the idea that, that wisdom, tr- good, the true and the beautiful have to match with power and with what we do or else you have a real problem, right? You have injustice and unhappiness. Well, that's a, I think a good place to wind up. We've solved all the problems of philosophy, politics, and human nature. Uh, you heard it here first. We've ironed it out. No, uh, no thanks to Ed Rooksby and, and Liam Kofi Bright. We didn't get to Owen's response, but he was actually pointing out that, that Liam's uh, affinity for nominalism, which you know relates to the individual ontology, uh, is a problem. And, and Rooksby, I think, would agree. But like, we ironed it out based on three readings. So I guess we have to close the shop now. Yeah. We'll link those in the description. Good stuff. Not too technical. Even a dummy like myself can get through it. (laughs) Oh, and if you like this episode, um, let us know. If you want us to read uh, other stuff um, and, you know, have intense intellectual discussions about it. Um, But we we thank you for listening and um, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye bye.